This is a conversation I had with Jeremy Gildner. Yeah, I, I would love to actually start with, with something quite personal that I found um, intriguing on your, on your website. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about this because this is a topic that fascinates me in general. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I stumbled across it a couple of times, but especially on your men's work mm -hmm. page, mm -hmm. you talk about how you used to feel separate from men. Right. But now it's different. You didn't specify how it's different now, but now it's different. Mm. I would be curious if you could tell me a bit about how was that when you felt separate? Like how, how was that for you? Or how, how did you feel separate? Sure. Um, I think for me, the separateness has come from, um, somewhat been self-imposed um, as this keeping myself being different um, than other men. There's, I think I took on the story really at a really young age that um, of what being a man meant or what be, at that age, what being a boy meant, um, which was not something I wanted to be. Um, the stereotype of it all, of like the lack of emotion, the lack of compassion for others, um, the going after like my, my own drive um, at the cost of anyone else. Um, and yeah, the, um, when I became a teenager, that was much more about um, relating with women and like this whole aspect of like relationships and dating and um, that there seemed to be this stereotype in the culture about um, getting women. And it's just like, none of that ever appealed to me. Um, uh, so if you say that, that's what you kind of pushed against that what yeah. you moved away from right. how, how did that impact yeah you, or sure. what was the self-image you had right so impacted by that i i felt alone um i felt like i mean i didn't and most of my friends ended up being women um and i didn't connect much with men um growing up that it i think the only exception to that was a few times on like when i could be really be vulnerable there's like settings where i started finding places where i could the beginning of what authentic relating was for me um and and in that setting, I could have some of these connections, but for the most part, I could only, I only really felt like I had permission to be myself around women. Um, yeah. And I guess what I, in, in my intention of writing, and sorry, go ahead. How, how did that, how did that being yourself feel and look back then?
Mm. That's a great question. It's really interesting because back then, as I think about it, I'm, I'm, it feels like it's neat, like there's still a piece that I, I'm actually integrating of like back then I was the best self I could be. And instead of looking back at those times, it's like this awkward kid that, um, yeah. So as I'm, thinking about those times of when I was myself, um, I think I really, I think I really was in the deep emotions. Like when I could be present with myself for another um, and something more real. The, yeah, it, it felt like that was, that felt like more of me than I don't know, the, feels like high school and school age had this aspect of um, constantly trying to be liked and be fit in. And it just felt like a game that wasn't real. And for, for me, it was that deeper level of actually connecting on the emotions. So it sounds like what, what was important to you back then was really this emotional um, feeling, I imagine, sensing mm. level, and that that would have, was more what you were drawn to and mm. attracted by. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. And it felt like there was something, something calling me there. Okay. And the way you describe it is that kind of led to a rejection of this man men thing right right and i'm i'm curious like how did you how did you reconnect mm. to the and i'm and i'm less interested in the story of how you reconnected and more uh -huh. interested in the what happened in that reconnection yeah i'm not even sure if i'm clear about the story anyways um, okay, then I'm it, more interested. <laughs> it's, it's more of just something that just happened. Um, of like, I more just noticed it over time of this shifted. Um, so, so maybe then one question before then. Yeah. How would you describe your relationship to man, men, masculinity now? Ah, got it. Um, okay, there's a bit more story here then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think what feels potent for me to share is that I, I've gone through a divorce and my previous partner um, was, was genderqueer and we lived in the trans community in Seattle. And being in that space of opened me up to what gender meant a lot more. And I've got more in touch with 
I, I experimented with like, do I want, do I, am I non-binary? Like, is, is there something more than this? Um, and having gone through that wave of everything and coming through the other side, it left me at this place of being a man mean, like, is my identity. And I'm going to make that mean what it means to me and not what society wants, wants me to mean. Um, I think that's my relationship with masculinity now, is that I, I don't believe that I need to fit in a box. In fact, actually, every time that I do something that is bigger than the box, um, it redefines it and gives free, more freedom to others. So that sounds like your relationship with masculinity right now is, I am me. Mm-hmm. And I'm a man. Yes, pretty much. Yeah. And are there still struggles with with the sense of, oh, I have to be a certain way, oh, people want me a certain way? Is that still something that you struggle with? It I definitely still notice the part of me that has that, that has that conditioning, but it it doesn't have the same hold as it did at one point in my life of like, well, actually I, I felt like I needed to push that away and lock it away in order to be myself. And now it's more that like that part of me can be here. Um, but it's, it's a voice that I can feel and doesn't have to run the show. And, and this is, I think in essence that that's what I'm interested in Yeah, is um, can you say a bit more about how, it used to be that that part literally had to be locked away for you oh. to be able to be you mm -hmm. and the part still exists right and it still has the same kind of worries and thoughts but it doesn't have right. to be a locked away right what, what has changed One of my favorite quotes is, especially at times when I'm struggling, is um, I'm bigger than anything that can happen to me. And it's, for me, it's about just stepping into this bigness where I can hold this different part. Um, that even, it, even though it ha can have such a loud voice and be demanding at times, it's letting myself be bigger than that. I think that's what's changed is that I've, I've learned that skill. And, and how does that part still impact your life? Um, hmm. I'm just debating right now of how personal I want to be on, on this recording. And please, please <laughs> yeah. choose as freely as you want to. Nice. You don't have to get yeah. super personal. It's mm -hmm. 
you can also tell me that you don't want to answer that question. I'm happy with that as well. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll lean into this. Um, yeah, so for me, the way this part still impacts my life, I think is, I think I, where I see it the most is probably around sex. Um, and an orientation to this being a source of self-value and like um, rejection feeling really hard um, when my partner says no. Um, there's, and just things getting tied up in that. And while I can be on this mental level of, um, yeah, it's okay that for, for her to say no, it's okay for all of this to be there. I can still, like these, this part of me has such strong emotions around it. Um, and that's, that's the part that I have to keep on stepping into being bigger than and holding that trigger. So it's like that, that level of acknowledgement and yeah, yeah, acknowledgement seems to be the word like you're okay, yeah. kind of. Right, right. And, and that it's also okay for me to be triggered. Like, and it's okay for this part to be here. I don't have to shut it down. Like, that I can give that space to have its reaction, but it doesn't have to, like, it doesn't have to completely derail me, that I can, like, I can come back from that. So these, these kind of sex situations really tie into your sense of being a man, masculinity. Yeah, I, I feel like this is the part that like I, I locked away of like, because like, and that um, to, and yeah, and I, because I didn't want to be the kind of man that was like fully oriented around sex, I think and oriented that way that but at the same time locking it away like cut me off from so much of who i am and in your life now like what's the what's the higher mode or the higher capacity of when this part can be integrated as well that mm -hmm. you've found for yourself that seems mm -hmm. to be most true to you mm -hmm. when this part could be integrated um it's mm. a few things um It feels expansive. I think that's the first, the main thing I want to say is that this part has a very narrow vision of how the world works. Um, and when I can integrate it and integrate its energy, 
um, it can also it can expand. So there's a sense of um, I can both slow down and be more present, which this part doesn't love to do when it's in trigger, um, and feel in the moment. And there's also a uh, so energy that I've gotten access to this more made more primal that and um, that can come out that feels like me and it's raw form and yeah and that's fast and but also attuned at the same time Thank you very much for your openness. That was 15 minutes. Okay, great. <sighs> so, <laughs> so uh, in, the, in this framework, uh -huh. you now have 15 minutes to talk and actually talk at the edge of your thinking about something and the invitation is to take where you're at now into that exploration. Uh, and I'm here to, to listen to you. Yeah, um, I, I think this is great energy for me to bring into it. It's perfect. Um, okay, so the edge of my thinking thought for me is it's about how I've been thinking about in how we might have how people have or how I have um, this is part of where I'm stumbling with the words already um, <laughs> a internalized drama triangle is how I've been calling it um, so the drama triangle for context uh, is uh, commonly used as this three parts a piece of the perpetrator, the um, victim, and the rescuer that all work in tandem to keep something in, in conflict and drama. And that, um, yeah, that it actually, while the, re while the rescuer and everything, all these parts are wanting, constantly wanting to escape it, they're also keeping them locked in place and keeping some kind of conflict around um, for some higher value, often it's safety and familiarity. Um, so for me, I've been noticing these, these parts of myself and in others um, that internally run. And the most interesting and elusive one is the rescuer because the perpetrator and victim are pretty easy to see. Um, the rescuer um, is interesting because it can often feel really great, whereas the other two don't. Um, it can feel like this part that has ideas and wants to explore something and change something and, um, but also, without action, without that 
turning into something um, that like that that creates value. And what do, what do you mean by without action? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Um, I guess for me, I find my rescuer. Um, okay, when I'm when I'm struggling with something, and uh, and I like feeling the victim and everything, I can step into the rescuer like, oh, here's a creative solution. Uh, and feeling really excited about that. And I think what I mean without action is it not making a difference of like, maybe we're changing the words a little bit or the orientation somewhat, but it's like, it still keeps the same conflict locked up, locked in place. Um, even though it may give the illusion that something's different. So in your internal drama triangle, but for me just to understand it, it's yeah. the perpetrator, I would imagine, is kind of being critical against myself. Right. Yep. It's a self-critic. Yeah. Often. The, the victim is where I feel helpless and powerless mm -hmm. and, and the and the rescuer is, oh, I have this today, or we could change this, so we, but nothing ever right. happens with that. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that it's, it's still just a way of continuing the, continuing the cycle. And so the, the thought that I'm like playing with around this is, um, is to notice all, all of these parts, letting them be here. Um, as well as like giving more breath and expansion um, to what else is here. Instead of taking the first thought, the rescuing thought to try to re relieve some suffering, which is also what I wanna say is like a key thing about the rescuer is that that makes it different is it's about trying to not feel something, to not feel stress or something like that. Um, yeah. So that I'm just trying to sit with this idea of like maybe some kind of deeper alignment or deeper purpose and connection can come from letting this part sit and have deeper breath instead of just listening to the rescuer. And maybe the way that people continually get stuck is by is just by listening to the rescuing voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, I constantly keep having this uh, thought in the back of my mind from the, this is, Jay Early uses the terminology of, we have the inner critic, we have mm. the criticized part, right. and we have the inner defender right. that, that usually defends against the critic, but also yeah blames kind of so it kind of takes the energy but goes like no but it's still part of the same dilemma yes yes yeah and yeah i guess it's just like different names for the same thing and the same dynamic that happens yeah and and the other thing that the rescuer does is it also doesn't give agency to the to the victim it takes it takes that power um away 
and and validates them like having this lack of power. Yeah. So so it seems to be that your your thesis you're kind of like trying to examine right now is so many people talk about their like oh I have this critical part and I have oh I have this place where I feel powerless. Right. But actually an important aspect of why people are stuck is that they constantly stay within this uh, rescuer mode inside themselves. Yeah. Right. It's like the things that they do to rescue and the and the, the like ways that they try to like battle against that self-critic. Yeah, keeps them stuck. That's yeah, a simplified form of it, yes. I think um, looking at all of the different dynamics of these internal parts is also fascinating. Um, as as we we're just pointing out with the um, the the way the rescuer uses the power against the perpetrator, um, but it's also like another another very interesting one to me is um, where actually the power is in the dynamic. Um, there's a term and gestalt of uh, top dog underdog, um, where it's actually the underdog that that is in control, even though the top dog seems to have all the power. The, the underdog, um, by playing, by being this victim, um, controls the situation. And and like pretending that you don't have the power, it goes. It, it actually goes the other direction. Um, an easier way of seeing this, I think, is. Uh, we were talking about relationships earlier and that someone saying no um, can often feel like the under the underdog um, position but that actually has more power of that that's the place that um, like decides how how fast a relationship goes or how fast anything evolves to or where what decisions get made so that's now more kind of the exploration of the victim, like, right. like that, uh, that how much power there is actually in the victim position. Oh yeah, yes. I, I would agree with this. Like it's, yeah. it, it, is, it is the most powerful position also because it's the only position you can ascribe to yourself right. and stay there. Right. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. And I think that, and to explore the third one, the perpetrator one, um, I think this is the one that is most in shadow um, for people because it's the hardest one to acknowledge in yourself. Um, and and I also another way that things get locked is keeping that from being acknowledged. Um, so that by actually acknowledging impact that you're doing to yourself or to others, um, I believe that gives us a ton of freedom. And um, and part of what can unlock us and unlock this whole triangle. Can you expand on the acknowledging impact gives us freedom? Yeah. Um, so I don't want to say with this. Um, when things are not in our awareness. I believe that they often still 
ha can have control over us. Um, and it's by bringing them into our awareness that that we we gain our own sense of freedom, that we gain a sense of power in our life and decision making. Um, and there's a tendency to push away things that are not pleasant, that we don't want to identify as being us. And the perpetrator definitely fits in that category as something that most of us don't want to acknowledge as something that, that we could be. And I think the thing I want to expand on that actually is that it's identity shifting to bring that in. Um, because we define our identity as being the good guy, being the good person. Um, and to allow ourselves to bring in this identity of like, yeah, I'm also human and being human means that I make mistakes and have, and have negative impact. And sometimes even if it's unconscious, I'm perpetrating on others. Maybe just as a personal thing from myself is that one of the things I've really been looking at and kind of hating to admit yet, uh, mm. yet having to admit is, for instance, how controlling I am in many ways. And acknowledging that is not, not one of the things I, I wake up on Sunday mornings to go like, yay, I'm really controlling. But I have those tendencies massively. Right. And, mm -hmm. and only admitting them actually mm -hmm. allows me to find more uh, conscious and um, healthy ways of being with it because there is a need in there. There is a motive in there. Right. Yeah. That, that's a beautiful example. Yeah. Of, of being able to be with that part of yourself that is not the most pleasant to be with um, and welcoming it in to find, find the need, find, find what's there. Um, yeah, because what, what I also see in this, um, in this triangle of like, and in the same way that the way this triangle works with interpersonal relationships is that like the perpetrator isn't wrong. It like, it's holding a stance and there's a reason that they're acting. There's needs that are underneath that whether or not they are directly related to the situation. Um, and that if how actually conflict gets resolved is having compassion and like digging down into that of like, what is actually happening here? Of where, where's the real hurt? Yeah, um, the, I, I know this thought under the, distinction between interpersonal drama triangle and intrapersonal uh -huh. drama triangle. Yeah. But I am, I am really fascinated by the beginning of this exploration of maybe actually the rescuer is, has the biggest impact on us staying in the loop. Right. Yeah. Like I find that, a, I don't know if that's true, but I find it a very interesting perspective. I, yeah, I, I've I've been finding that too. Uh, I'm that's that's the, what this exploration is um, for me is like that 
how elusive this rescuer part is and that the other two like even if they don't necessarily want to be seen like the perpetrator do doesn't but there's still like some obviousness about like the self-critic mm -hmm. um and yeah and the rescuer is different and and it feels like hidden it feels good it feels like this is the energy i want to be doing in my life um often and a relief yeah relief i think that's a that's a very good word there uh-huh so so the 15 minutes are up officially okay. but, but but we can still just take a take a a moment to be with this because I actually think that's a very, mm -hmm. very interesting question. Mm -hmm. um, the how how this how this sense of I have to rescue myself or parts of me are trying to make me feel better uh -huh. is actually the one of the deeper layers of what keeps me stuck exactly where I am. Right. Yes. That I have to rescue myself. Mm -hmm. There's a sense of like giving purpose, it seems like to me, and that of like, and it feels, and that I think the scarier decision is like, what if we didn't need to be rescued? I think there is that that doorway of is it okay to just be with this even if it's just for a moment right. that usually opens a completely different sphere or realm yeah. or whatever you want to call it um, and I also find it actually interesting to to look at the rescuer as what's also like the higher mode of the rescuer because there also seems to be a like a, a truth in it rather than, oh, it is just the way it is. Like there is also a truth, truth in the rescuer, but it kind of digs its own grave through what it, through how it does things. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing. Yeah. Thank you for questions. Thank you for exploring with me. <laughs> hmm. So now we're shifting our attention to you. That's, my curiosity. That, that, that is uh, the setting now. You can ask me whatever right. you want to ask me. Great. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, I think this is um, what I noticed from your website is uh, that you do IFS work. Um, I do. I think he's bit, which is kind of perfect for the way that we've been talking. <laughs> yes, we've been talking parts. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm curious on, yeah, how how do you work with your your own internal parts? How do I work with my own internal parts? Um, I think that's a that's a question I can't answer in with one answer, but there are multiple answers. Sure. So um, one answer is I seem to have more and more situations 
in my life where I don't need to work with them mm-hmm. in the moment, but through having more of a presence of self, even if parts come up, they also calm down again. So mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of a growing experience in my life that, um, that parts that used to really fuck me up are not fucking me up as much. Uh-huh. And that's, that's rather pleasant, which is, which is also one of the reasons why I, I, I value this deepening into self so much, because I think the more we can actually have be present in self in our life, the more the relationship with parts just changes naturally. So that would be the, the one answer. So, yeah, the, what's coming up is curio- for me is curious when the way you're talking is it seems like you're holding these parts as separate from self. Is that true? Um, do I hold them as separate from self? Yes and no. Like if, if we look at it on, on an ontological level, I could answer with yes and I could answer with no. Right. I, depending on the day and which part, I experience it differently. Uh-huh. But, but for me, there is, a, there is a qualitative difference between a part that's activated in me mm. and when I'm connected to the presence of my being. Mm. There is a there is a there is a substantial qualitative difference I experience mm-hmm. in in my body that I experience in my emotions that I experience in my energy. So so that's where I make that distinction. There is, and I would even say there is like a there is a difference of. substance in a way like when i'm actually in the presence of myself there is a different Mm. to it than than what a what a part has without wanting to downplay them but there is a different yeah i don't have a good word for it but it's that (laughs) yeah yeah i mean that's it's very interesting. You, were, you, you answered my next question, which was like, how can you describe self? And it's this feeling, this, like, whatever you're describing is this more expansive, or like the uh, connected to the, I forget exactly your words, the whole beingness. Yeah, and it's, I find it, I find the point, how can you describe self? I think that's a very interesting and a very tricky question. Yeah. Because um, and this, this is also a place where my exploration goes outside of the lines of IFS. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I love the tools IFS is using. I think mm-hmm. they're brilliant. And I think they've found such core and important distinctions that I, that I really enjoy using them. Mm-hmm. But um, for instance, the just defining self as self has these qualities calm curious all of that 
Yes, and <laughs> um, so so I actually think there is like an unfolding uh-huh. um, of of self, and and I think the deepest answer I've found for myself until now is I really have the sense that there is a different reality to what I would call self than to parts. Mm. But I don't have any more words for that other than there is there seems to be a different beingness. The word integration is coming to mind for me as you're talking about this. Like maybe that's some of the transition. Is that accurate for you? Uh, definitely to some degree, yes. Uh-huh. So I think just some of my some of the parts that used to be massively accurate, uh, active in the past have integrated to much larger degrees and that makes a lot of things a lot easier. Mm. Like in my personal example, um, if somebody used to criticize me, I would get incredibly triggered and my inner critic would come online and then my inner defender would come on and all of that. And the trigger is still there, but it's like 3% of what it used to be. And that just makes a lot of things a lot easier. Mm. How much are you yourself right now? Or is there parts online or? Um, there is parts online that like there is some tracking of what's yeah. going on. There is, there is a, a slight bit of worry of, Oh God, how is this going right now? Uh-huh. Um, there is also just impact from from today i mm-hmm. i uh i went on on a protest here in germany mm. uh, because of the lockdown mm. situation we have here that's severely severely um um reducing our basic rights right now mm. and doing so indefinitely which i find scary and being at these protests and seeing how the police is interacting with protesters um, scares me. So I have that still in me just as an imprint of today. Mm. And as I speak about that, that comes more online. Yeah. But, but mm. where, what you asked about, am I myself? So, there, there is this sense of quiet and simplicity in mm. which I, which feels less like a, so for instance, I could, I could describe it through sensations, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like a sensation. It feels like I could use the, the words of sensations to describe it, but it feels more fundamental than that. Mm. So, so that's kind of a hmm. one part of my experience is that. Hmm. So what I'm hearing is that there's, there are these parts of you and stuff alive from the protest today that's still with you. And yet there's a sense of self that uh, to me, the word grounded comes to mind as you mm-hmm. describe that funk of like, yeah, yeah, that can ground your experience. Hmm. 
Mm. Yeah, and, and this simplicity. It's where even though this is multiple parts, there's something about all this that's utterly simple. That's that's utterly like. Mm. 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 I'm just letting myself feel that for a second before going to another question. Just like there's a sense of peacefulness that I feel with that. Just letting it all be like constellations around it, but having this gravitation point. Yeah. Mm. 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 What, um, it's a very similar question to one that you asked me. Uh, <laughs> just how did you arrive here? How did, how did you develop this sense of grounded self? And more, again, the way you asked, less of the story and more of the experience, the feeling. So I, um, number one, I'm, I don't even know why, but I'm quite touched right now, just mm -hmm. sitting here. Mm -hmm. um, I think the way I can answer is kind of a mixture of story and uh, experience, which is um, I kind of found a taste of this when I was in my early 20s. Mm. I, I had a pretty big boom experience. Um, but the way that showed up in my life was like a yearning for more of that and the way i sought that was through intensity like i i would get into these intense and powerful and i think in one way absolutely important experiences but i would kind of be constantly on the hunt for them mm -hmm. and i think it was mostly through yeah, and that, that was in one way exciting and alive. And, and I think it also fits being in your 20s, like living like that. <laughs> but, um, mm. but there was also something where whenever I was not there, it left me feeling dissatisfied. Mm. So that was always this uh, uh, kind of sense. And... Um, And I don't, I, I can't like point a moment or a, or a specific experience, but there is something about, um, it's, it's as if the, where before I was always looking at the content of the experiences, even of the peak experiences, it seems like in one way, the content of the experiences, like the, the openings I've experienced are there and they are there not very dependent on the content so it's like there is an openness that's there if i feel great or if i feel shit like there is a certain openness and a certain groundedness towards that that kind of one of my teachers always called it 
uh, it needs to settle into the cells. Maybe it's that, but it's, it's, it's like, I'm not so focused on the content anymore. It's more the, how am I relating to that content? Mm -hmm. Hmm. So I'm hearing that there, like in your twenties, you had this sense of, um, looking for the big experiences and being really focused on the content. And there seems to be this shift now that you're uh, being like, it's more of a focus on how you are with whatever is here, whether it's a positive or negative experience or anything with that, but there's a sense of like more of a focus on how you are with it rather than the thing. And yes and no, like, I think that's, it's not so much a focus. It's not something I consciously do. Mm. Like it's not, it's not like I wake up in the morning and say, Hey, today I'm going um, <laughs> uh -huh. I, I, I do that explicitly when I do like sessions with myself mm. be because I, I find that that's the easiest way I can get to a sense of like to a deeper presence is, mm -hmm. is asking myself, what, what is it like for me to be with this right now? Mm. Um, but, but it, it seems to really be more, more of a an undertone of my experience mm -hmm. i think the best word for it yeah mm. Mm. it's undertone yeah Um, want to do a time check to, to see how you, you have pretty good sense of timing because you, you were about five seconds late. Okay. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was wondering if we were there or if I should keep on going with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's respect right there. <laughs> I, I suck with time. <laughs> I wasn't sure I was guessing. <laughs> <laughs> but you guessed pretty, pretty well. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, so it's my turn, huh? I can... Go ahead. So number one, thank you for asking these questions. Like it, mm. I, I genuinely enjoyed uh, answering. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, mm. So one of the... And I'm, I'm a bit torn between um, talking about what I'm thinking about in my, in my research and in my work and actually talking about this a more political situation. And um, I feel a bit uh, worried about that because I actually don't want to get into an area where I'm less knowledgeable and where I can potentially have just bullshit opinions but i noticed that this being at this protest today and not just today but also last week is really deeply affecting me right now and that the thoughts i'm having around what is happening right now and and really this question of 
what is going on? Um, in Germany, in the world right now, um, it, uh, are becoming louder and louder in me the longer this, uh, these uh, lockdowns are, are going on. Like I find that challenging, especially because, um, and like I have to absolutely say I'm, uh, I'm, no, I'm no scientist, I'm no expert, I'm no nothing, but mm -hmm. the, the more I keep listening to different scientists, the more obvious it seems to me that a lot of what's going on right now, at least here in Germany, with having social distancing, having all the businesses shut down, having lockdowns, and having had that for almost two months. Mm -hmm. Almost two months. That's a fucking long time. It, according to many scientists, that was not necessary and it should at least be like changed. Mm -hmm. and then I see how uh, at least the media here is, keeps on telling us we know we have to wait for a vaccine and this may continue until 2024. And, uh, and then I'm at this protest that's um, it's not actually officially a protest because we're not allowed to protest right now in Germany, which is mm. one of those like that's kind of an important thing in a democracy. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. um, I think the thing that that really deeply impacted me today was, um, and then this is this actually is shaking me at a at a core foundation. Um, I was at the protest last week, and I. And I, um, a group here has called for what they call ignorance meditations, um, where because the rules are, we, we're supposed to keep one meter and 50 distance from other people. Um, we're not supposed to be in groups, I mean, distance. So what they suggest is you sit down, you make sure you have an area around you of one meter and 50, you just sit down you put on big headphones so you don't even hear what's going on because there are lots of people screaming and saying, we want this, we want that. None of that. You just sit down, you meditate for one hour and you leave. That's it. That's our protest. That's us showing we don't agree, but we stick to all the rules. We're here to show that we disagree and we, we peacefully leave. And last week I was at the protest and um, I did that. And it was, it was actually like when I started, there were many people around me standing, walking. And after half an hour, I for the first time opened my eyes, just kind of looking. And there was almost nobody left around me and I was surrounded by police. And I was like, what? Um, but, they, but they kept me sitting there for an hour and then I left and that was it but but it was it was a scary experience and today um I went again and I actually this time made even even like I made the setting even more clear so that I had like two meters and 50 distance to the next person and I was sitting there and I know that this whole time nobody came closer to me than a meter ever and at some point in time, 
so, so even if I look through, through these the lenses of um, these are the rules, social distancing, all of that, yada yada, I didn't break those rules. But then the police decided to, um, to kind of like get rid of all the people there. And that included all the people who had their own area and were sitting there abiding by all the, all the laws. Mm-hmm. And they, they basically came to all the people. I was there with four people I knew. And they, uh, and they just said, look, you have two options. You leave now or you're arrested. And they arrested one of us um, just because he was like, uh, can I ask a question? And the answer was, no, you're arrested. And mm. um, yeah, I, I walked away because uh, I didn't want to be arrested. But the, the really deep question is like, what's happening there? Um, and mm. the deeper question to me is how do I how do I position myself there? Because mm-hmm. this just this just feels terrifying. Mm-hmm. That that that's where we're at. Mm-hmm. That I can even get that they would arrest people who come together in groups of ten and they're standing right next to each other because that's obviously against the official rules. I don't I don't agree with that, but I can get it according to the rules. But we were sitting there. We were keeping the distance. Right. And all we were doing was sitting there. We didn't have a sign that said we, like we weren't protesting. We were just sitting there. Mm. And that's, yeah, I, I, I still don't know what to make of that. Mm. So in this exploration, are you wanting to understand like what was going on for the police? What's going on for the system? I think what's most, in, what's most up for me is so, so the questions I'm left with is, yeah. um, like, so there are two, two kind of perspectives on this. One perspective is they're doing this for safety right now. As soon as they know we're safe, they're going to change all the rules again and everything is going to be back to normal. The other perspective is this is dangerous and this could deeply affect our, our democracy and our laws. Mm-hmm. I tend more towards the second one. Uh-huh. Um, and I think the really deep question, like one of the questions I have is, should I have just stayed sitting and have them arrest me? Mm. Would that have been the right thing? Because that would have been, I came here to sit for an hour. I still have five minutes to go. Um, I'm going to finish this or you take me. Like I have that as a question in the back, as one question in the back of my mind. And the other question is, um, am I just seeing things? Is this just me kind of seeing bad intentions where there are none? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And if, if this is really like, a, if they are taking away some of our basic rights, what's the way to deal with that? Like, I think it's really that, that's the question where I'm trying to position myself and where I'm trying to just figure out as a human being, as a, as a dude in this world, what, what's up and what's my point. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't feel like I want to come in here with any kind of advice or any kind of direction of what you, um, yeah, I'm not asking for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel more just compassion and feeling with you on this of like how, like I get it, of like how hard this is. And like, I'm just imagining myself in your shoes of, I would probably make a very similar decision of to, to get up and walk away, even though, and like have the same doubts of like, should I let myself get arrested for this point? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm also struck with this, like, uh, I don't, um, I don't know, just Germany's history of, of <laughs> with, uh, with authoritarian government. Yeah, if you literally look back into history, um, right now, I, I don't know, I think in the US what, what, what the laws are right now are decrees. Is that, is that what it's called? Or, a, it's, or no, an executive order. It's executive orders. That there's, these... there's different, and the US is very different, and we go by um, each state has its own thing. Um, even cities are doing differently. Um, within it, there's not an organized thing within the whole country right now. Yeah, it's, it's ish that, but yeah. not really. Here. Yeah. Like all the, all the states are basically doing the same thing. It's just that sometimes they end it a day early or a day late. Right. Yeah. Right. But um, I mean, I think on one level it comes down to standing up for what you believe in, mm -hmm. in a way, no matter the consequences. And that's a, that's a bitch to, yeah. to do that. But it, it also, um, yeah, it also comes down for me to, to, to a deeper inquiry of, can I trust my assessment? Because I, I for instance, cognitively, I know that I, I, my mind prefers conspiracies to non-conspiracies. That's mm. one of the ways I, I process reality. I am aware of that. Mm. So I could be seeing something dangerous happening where there is actually nothing. Mm. Like, mm. I just want to be aware of that. Um, what's the advantage of that part? Oh, well, what's the purpose of that for you? It's, it's me wanting to make sure that I'm not just acting on, on a story that's not based in reality. Uh, yeah, I get that. My actual question is on the part of the part of you that sees conspiracies. Oh, um, where there oh might one one of them is entertainment. I I love <laughs> I love thinking about conspiracies. That's just fun. That's uh -huh. just very yeah. entertaining. It's also I often actually feel like if I look at official politics mm -hmm. and I try to understand what's happening in the world based on that, I never get it. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't understand it. Whereas if I look at it as there's super powerful corporations that try to further their influence mm. through this, then suddenly things make a lot more sense. Mm. So maybe it's also just me either not having understood politics very well or, uh, but it just, it just makes a lot more sense to me if I look at through it through powerful corporations 
mm. um, the deep state, whatever that is in the end. But they just make stories that make more sense to me. Mm. And I notice I have one part in the back of my mind asking like, could you please agree with me or disagree? Or like, I'm, 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 I'm getting insecure in this position Got of it. putting cool. my, putting myself out here of like, yeah. this is, this is how I feel. This is how I function. So awesome. I have I, that. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I really appreciate you naming that piece of like, what was going on. I'm like, I'm sitting here listening to you, wondering, wondering what you're wanting in this. Yeah. Um, I, I actually think what I'm wondering, what, I'm, what I want is on one level, I have a part that actually wants you to go like, yeah, I can totally get that. So mm -hmm. that's, that's the more like young part in this. Um, on another level, it's, it's moving what happened earlier. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and I think it's really this deep question of what does it mean to stand up for what I believe in? even acknowledging that what I believe in might be wrong. Mm. The, the sense I make of this right now, where I mm. have a sense mm -hmm. that this is about taking certain rights away, this is about implementing um, certain laws that wouldn't be implementable otherwise, I'm, I might be completely off with that. Mm. But even for the, off, for the chance that I am right, I want to stand up for that. I want to say, no, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. And, I, and I think at the core, it's really that struggle is that, that there is like this power also in standing up for that point, but there's also such a deep, vulnerability in standing up for that point yeah. and and in one way a deep um, fear of being wrong or this is the wrong position to take but at the same time this is where my power is i'm, I'm experiencing what you're sharing as, as very courageous as is coming from this place of courage of uh, and a lot of my definition of courage is that you still have fear. You still are not sure of the ground that you're on that, and, and yet still moving forward. Um, so I noticed for me, like as I've been um, listening to you and kind of actually consciously not, um, not agreeing or disagreeing, um, and for me, that's, uh, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm wanting to, like, I feel called forward by your courage and wanting to answer that more than just bypassing um, and not, not making a decision. Um, and yet at the same time, my real answer is I don't know right now. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and I, I don't uh, like on one level, I, I want you to give me an answer. And on another level, I don't like right. on another level. I'm, I'm very interested in, in knowing what, what your perspective is, because mm -hmm. I actually think in these times, yeah, 
I think it's so important for people to form their own opinion on what is happening right now and what is my position towards this. Um, and, uh, and I have to do that on my own and I have to stand up for it. Like that's the truth of the matter and, and that's difficult. Mm -hmm. And my 15 minutes are up as well. <laughs> um, but, okay. but maybe we can find a smooth way to, yeah. to close I, this I, down. I think I do want to attempt to answer um, mm -hmm. this, to, to be with this. Um, and what I, I think what I want to say um, is, I, as, as this pandemic has gone on, um, my, my views are shift, have gone in waves of things. I had an initial wave of being worried about my family and the people that I love and that somebody shared with me that um, they just felt like it would be unlikely for them to get through this without all the people in, with all the people still in their lives still around. And that just hit me really hard of like really worried and just like wanting to reach out to my family that's older and the people that are at risk of like, please stay safe. And like, I wanna do my part so you don't get sick. Um, and as this has gone on, um, and we're learning more about it and it seems like there's a significant amount of the virus that people are asymptomatic to it or have very little effect from it. Um, and I don't know, I'm not a scientist either. And there's so much out here that I'm like, I don't want to speak on, but there's a way that, yeah, being quarantined, especially with a new baby, um, has become very tolling for, for us. And that I've, um, we've been bending the rules by being double quarantined with a clo close couple of ours that have um, allowed us to have breaks of not just being us by ourselves. Um, and that's felt very important. That's felt necessary. <laughs> um, and at the same time, like we're starting to let that circle grow slowly, and it's feeling more natural to do that now. Um, and I can't quite explain why now instead of before. Um, and when it comes to this aspect of like the authoritarian government coming in and telling us what to do. Like, I, I feel that too. And actually I feel like, at least in the United States, what it seems like to me is more of like, it's always been here. Um, it's just less of a veil and, than before. And I'm like, it's, I'm actually feeling a little encouraged by, by that veil being lifted more of like, what can we do about this? Um, that more people are seeing it. So I, it's kind of both for me of like, I don't want to necessarily go against like all of the recommendations and everything like that. But at the same time, there is a natural loosening that's happening. And I also like, am very concerned about the erosion of freedom and societies in the world. And there is a lot happening here in Germany as well in the form of people like forming 
the, the perfect example is that there's been a new party, like political party formed here in Germany 11 mm. days ago mm. that reached, um, within 10 days, they had 70,000 members, mm. which makes it the fourth largest party in Germany. Mm-hmm. So I think within like two or three weeks, they're going to be the second, third largest party in Germany. And their mm-hmm. main points are, we don't want forced vaccinations. We don't want the, the vaccination IDs. We don't want these things that all the other parties suddenly seem to agree we need. We don't want that. And it's, there's such a movement behind it that actually that can be potentially great. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, these questions of what is actually happening are still there for me. What yeah. is this about? How much of this is an authoritarian government that just shows its, shows its teeth? Right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we end it with this question. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it feels like such a big question at this time. Yeah. And like, I'm, I, I feel grateful to have like really felt and heard your experience of going through this protest and the scariness of being asked to leave. And if you don't, you'll be arrested. Um, With at the same time, never having broken one of the rules. Right. Right. That, that, that's, yeah. that was the part that really got to me. Uh-huh. Was, yes, I was in the same general area as many other people, but I had stuck to the rules. Yeah. I think the thing I want to share that like occurs to me with that too, is like um, fear and power mixed together is a very dangerous mix. And, and that seems like some of the thing of like, it, it allows, it, it makes it so there's not discernment uh, on things like you were not breaking the rules, but when there's fear and, and like trying to use power to do something, um, it makes it so you're grouped in with everyone else. Yeah. And I can even get it from the side of the policeman. Like I have empathy for that, Uh but, but it did hit me. Yeah. 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 Mm. So I'll just stop the recording here. Okay. Great. Thanks. Thank you. Mm. You never, you never know what's around the